Appreciate it, Anderson. I hope you had a good weekend. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to primetime. First, happy new year to my Jewish brothers and sisters. Shana Tova. Sadly, there is no similar fresh start to celebrate in Afghanistan. We don't even know how many Americans and allies are being kept from leaving. Now, that's the phrase we're going to focus on. Kept from leaving. Some by the Taliban, as expected. And in the latest development, here's our troubling question. Is our government actually hindering the effort to get Americans out of Afghanistan? Tonight, As we promised you, we will continue our coverage, including the saga of the translator we call Sarah, who is still trying to get home. We have an update from her that you're going to want to see. Now, as to the political side of this, the top Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee alleges the Taliban now isn't letting some Americans and Afghan allies leave who were stuck at Mazar-i-Sharif Airport in Afghanistan. McCall used the phrase hostage situation, but our secretary of state rebutted it earlier. We've been able to identify a relatively small number of Americans who we believe are seeking to depart from Mazar-e-Sharif with their families. We have been assured again that all American citizens and Afghan citizens with valid travel documents will be allowed to leave. We are not aware of anyone being held on an aircraft or any hostage-like situation in Mazar-e-Sharif. Mazar-e-Sharif. That's where they are. The question is how many and for how long? Now, here's the problem with what we just heard from the Secretary of State. It all makes sense, except for the level acceptance of the source, not Blinken, but the Taliban. What does valid travel documents mean to them? Now, he says America has been assured by the Taliban that citizens and allies can get out. But I don't get how they can be so quick to accept that when they're hearing differently from the ground. And remember, these are the guys that they say they just trust. You know what that person is running from? The Taliban, acting like barbarians, firing on crowds of protesters, large numbers of women in Kabul. That's who we're going to rely on? You're just going to take their word? The same Taliban who allegedly just murdered a pregnant policewoman in front of her family? Now, it's not just a Republican hate parade. On the Democrat side, one of the senators on the Armed Services Committee is calling out the State Department. Richard Blumenthal, you don't get more Democrat than him, okay? And he says his staff has, quote, Work night and day to secure the safe passage of two planes waiting in Mazar-e-Sharif. I've been deeply frustrated, even furious at our government's delay and inaction. So now before you Biden supporters attack me for being unfair to the administration, that is a Democratic senator saying the same damn thing, because that's what the reality is on the ground, and it has to be remedied. This isn't left or right. You have to be reasonable right now. Four American citizens, thankfully, were apparently just able to escape. And Tony Blinken says we should thank the Taliban. They've upheld that commitment in at least one instance in the last 24 hours. Uh, with a a family that was able to leave through an overland route. 
Now, look, I get that it's a tough spot. I get that they're in control, the Taliban. But this is a dangerous game. And by the way, a Republican on the House Intel Committee has a very different account. Mark Wayne Mullen, you've seen him on the show. He identifies this family as an American named uh, Miriam and her three kids. He says they're from Amarillo, Texas. Listen to him. We had her at the gate multiple times, multiple times. We was on the phone with the State Department over the last two weeks trying to get her out. um, And they wouldn't even open the gate for us. We had her there for 24 hours before the State Department was even aware she was there. They didn't show up until a few hours after we'd actually or before we got her across. And so for them to say they facilitated it is absolutely a lie. We had to go through over 20 checkpoints. We we were negotiating back and forth. The State Department. Uh, was actually told at one time, actually told the embassy in the country not to assist us in any way. For them to take credit and say they negotiated with the Taliban, it is absolutely a lie. Now, look, could he be wrong? Yeah. But he could also be right. How? Listen, you're going to hear from other people tonight who are veterans who are trying to do the right thing, and they are encountering either silence or resistance from the State Department. I am not ascribing animus. I'm not saying the State Department is trying to hurt people, Americans in Afghanistan. But that doesn't mean that they are doing the job as well as they can and being straight about it. Now, we have someone who helped pull off this family's escape tonight. He was on the ground with them. But first, let's keep it close to home here with the own, our own situation, okay? Remember Sarah, the translator? She didn't want to leave because she wanted to help these other SIV eligible people and their kids. She's an American. We've been tracking her. She has been desperate to get out and things are getting harder. She's been on the move with more than a dozen Afghan allies and kids since last week. Now, we blur the faces to protect them because God forbid they don't make it out. Somebody sees the video. They got trouble. So then why show the video at all? To keep you interested, to show you the reality, to show you the desperation. Sarah is exhausted. But she recorded a new video for us to tell us just how hard this has been and may still be. Listen. I don't know where to start. There's so much pain. And it's heartbreaking. So I tried everything in my power to leave this country going gate to gate, walk gate to gate, show them my passport, screaming to the people who were controlling the gate. I cannot leave this country since August 16. I tried everything to leave. I don't know what what went wrong and why I couldn't leave. But I just want to record this for my family and my friends so they know what's going on. I have young kids and I have women. I have guys who are been waiting for SIVs for so long, since 2017, 2018. They've been waiting. Um, It's a long video, but that's the main thrust of it. Uh, Sarah doesn't sound great because she's not great, not just emotionally, but physically. She's been sick. And the guests that I want to bring in right now, they're not just better minds. 
They know more about the situation, and they're absolutely better men. Sam Rogers, a former Afghan war vet, he's coalition's director with the Concerned Veterans for America Foundation, and Harvey Graham Green, co-executive director of AlliedExtract.org, which has been working directly uh, with Sarah, uh, trying to get her to where she is right now. So look, there's been progress. Gentlemen, I hope Labor Day weekend was good for you and your families. I know you were working all through it because we were texting. Um, so thank you for continuing to do the job. Uh, Sam, let me get an update from you on Sarah. Uh, she was sick. You were trying to get her help on the ground. Some of the kids uh, are now not feeling well. Uh, any idea what it is and whether or not she can get remedied? Uh, yeah, Chris, it's looking like, you know, flu-like symptoms. But for folks who are exhausted, many of whom who have been injured, um, you know, they're low on cash. They're low on food. They're low on clean water. Um, they don't have power. This is uh, these are this is an austere environment where illness can turn sideways very quickly. And you know, Sarah's just terrified that she's going to get left behind again. And and why shouldn't she be? You know, she crisscrossed the country with all these kids and folks in tow. Um, you know, the State Department outreach has continued to be an occasional email or you know robotic phone call that says shelter in place. You might as well say wait and see. And that's the only messaging she's ever heard from the State Department. Mm. Um, Harvey, you guys do all this logistical work. You get her to a place uh, where you're willing, uh, ready to get her out. And then you can't. Uh, Are these complaints about the State Department valid in your mind? Yeah, absolutely so. Um, as you saw from the overland operation, it, the, the impossible is happening every day. You, Sarah, looking after 22 children, you know, being moved to safe houses, being moved a, across a country that is in a state of incredible flux, you, achieving all the things that are being achieved and getting to a point where they are good to go. Um, and then not having that end stage because you, the, the State Department won't clear these aircraft because they have tied themselves into a knot. Uh, is, it is incredibly frustrating. Um, we will, of course, keep doing everything that we can do to support Sarah, but the, this is not a situation that times out and resolves itself. As Sam said, this is a situation that only gets harder by the day. And that is something that the State Department absolutely have to understand. This is not going away. Every day is going to get harder for Sarah. And I wish that the State Department were displaying some of the fortitude that she is showing at this point. Sam, the pushback would be, listen, I appreciate what you're doing, but you don't know who these people are. You may know who Sarah is, but she's not the problem. It's all these other people you want to bring with her. What if they're ISIS-K? What if they're just not supposed to uh, be qualified and other people are going to get left behind because we're dealing with them? Can't do it. Is that fair pushback? Well, you know, that's the entire point of the SIV process. That's the entire point of having these planes filled with people land in a third party country where the State Department can conduct some rigorous vetting um, in coordination with other agencies. But instead of any of that happening, it's just a flat no. There's nowhere to land. There's nowhere to go. Um, and hoping that the problem will go away. This is not checking blocks at the DMV for a driver's license. This, this bureaucratic problem solving, uh, it, it's not going to solve this. We need decisive action. We need these barriers torn down to getting folks out, getting them vetted, getting them processed, uh, instead of having more barriers erected in our path, which is what we're seeing. All right. Uh, 
Look, the pledge continues. As you give me information, I'll repeat it. I'm here because I've got to echo uh, your efforts and what you're trying to do for people who are citizens and just who need help. Quickly, Sam, where do people go if they want to help contribute to your efforts? Um, well, I would check out uh, Allied Extract, our partners that Harvey is a part of. Um, they've done an amazing job. And I, it's just critical to remember that, you know, leaving Afghanistan was the right decision. And we are going to hold the people accountable who have who have botched this process for the last 20 days and the last 20 years. But we have to fulfill our obligations to these translators and their families um, it, for moral purposes, right, as a country of character. And because we're going to need folks like these in future wars. And they're going to look back and see the way that we botched this and refuse to own it and fix it. And they might not help us protect our service members on the ground in the future. Allied Extract is your organization, Harvey. Uh, Graham Green, thank you for the help that you're providing. Sam Rogers, thank you very much. I'll be back with both of you. You know how to get me. All right. And later in the show, we're going to talk to somebody who's on the ground in Afghanistan, who's been dealing with exactly this, to talk about how big the challenge is and what time means. Now, back here at home, we have our own time-sensitive battle, COVID. And the numbers are getting worse. We kind of expected that post-Labor Day, but now this is a new phase. All our kids are going back to school. I know some are back already, and we're going to use their experience to go to school figuratively on what we're seeing as problems because infections are rising among kids. Again, we thought we'd see that. And against staff. Again, we thought we'd see that, but not like this. We have a school district in Georgia that has returned to online learning. Why? Deaths. We're back with the superintendent for that district. The problem, the solution. Next. All right, it's post-Labor Day. We know what that means if you're in the kid game. It's time to go back to school. Officially back to school for most of the places around the country. Of course, some have already returned. And that's very important because we can go to school on their experiences, pun intended. This usual time of anticipation, celebration for some, not in my house, but it is certainly marked this year by hesitation and reservation for many. Just look at the rise of child COVID cases and you'll see why. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, kids now make up more than one in four weekly COVID cases in this country. You remember when we used to say, yeah, but at least it's not the kids. Thank God. No more. A 250 percent increase from July. COVID has now caused one school district to shut down in-person classes already because of what? Cases leading to a lack of transportation. Three of their transportation employees died within a two-week period after reporting COVID complications. Could there have been comorbidity? Yes. Do you know how much of this country's adults have what could fit into the category of comorbidity? Like what? Obesity, type 2 diabetes, hypertension. So now students are going to go back to virtual instruction, which, yes, sucks. The district has also reported 116 students who've tested positive, 452 kids in quarantine for close contact. We have the superintendent for Griffin Spalding County Schools, Keith Simmons, who's dealing with this problem. Thank you, especially with what you're dealing with. Thank you for taking the opportunity on primetime. Thank you as well. Now, and when you're looking at the problem, the idea that you know what it's being caused by and how to remedy it, is that true? 
Not necessarily. Um, I, I think I have ideas about what the problem is, uh, but because some of in some of those, uh, the target appears to be moving. The remedies are also as elusive. So when you look at the problem, why did you get here? Um, in some ways, we got here because we, we were trying to provide, you know, a quality educational experience for our students. Um, and, and for whatever reason, uh, unfortunately, um, this particular variant has has attacked uh, the adults at a faster rate. It's attacked our student population at a faster rate. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, we've we've had losses of life um, and, and, and it's 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 hard to put those things into words. Uh, I remain heartbroken for each of those families and, and, and their loved ones. But uh, that's where we are. Losing your life to covid complications, that's the way it's reported. Now, look, there could very well have been comorbidity, but covid certainly seems to have been a factor. Does that drive kind of a breakthrough for people in your area that, hey, listen, this is more serious than we expected. The vaccine, I have to consider it. I hope that it does. Uh, I believe that it does. Um, but and, and that's the reality, Chris. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, while people will listen to what you say, they believe what they see. Uh, and, and while I hate that these are the experiences that have you know been cast upon our community, our school district, uh, these are the realities. And, and we've got to find a way to mitigate them. Um, many would say that closing schools would be the best way to go about that. Many would say that vaccines uh, would, would be the best mitigation effort. Um, but in some ways, we've, we've observed vaccinated employees uh, come down with the virus. And, and we've observed those who've not been vaccinated uh, who've been able to avoid it. So again, uh, it's been an elusive process and we're doing the best that we can to mitigate it and ensuring that our students and our staff remain healthy and well during this process. Now, when I said that virtual instruction uh, sucks, I'm really speaking to parents. I know the teachers are trying. I go through it, you know, with my three kids. Um, and now, you know, two of them are going back to regular school. The other one's in college. Um, I get that everybody's trying. It's just not as good, especially for kids who need the direction and who have trouble with attention. I mean, you know all these things. So how are parents responding to going back to virtual learning, not even mentioning home care issues and what this means for their ability to work? Those are the challenges, and those challenges are real. I'll be honest. Uh, I'm exceptionally proud of the way that our families have responded. They understand that on any given day, we're going to put our best foot forward to provide a quality educational experience and service them. But at the same time, when we get to a point where our capacity uh, will no longer enable us to do that for in-person learning, this is what we resort to. Uh, it is not preferred. Uh, we're built to provide in-person instruction. Uh, we've, we've allocated our staff to do that uh, in the buildings. Um, this is our effort. This is the need to be pivotal. Uh, this is a need to be agile. And, and so that's where we are. We'll make the most of it. Uh, we'll make the best of it. Uh, and my hope is that we won't have to do it long term. That's going to be the key. How long until they can get back? Uh, listen, uh, Mr. Simmons, I appreciate your candor. And uh, we're a call away. We'll update your story when you tell us there's a change. OK. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. God bless and good luck and stay healthy. Thank you. All right. We told you earlier about four Americans who were just able to escape Afghanistan with U.S. troops now gone. OK. A mom and her three kids. The State Department says or makes it sound like they made it happen. An organizer of the private mission to free them says otherwise. He was on the front lines. He's next. All 
All right, so let's make a post-Labor Day pact. Let's forget the left and right. Let's just be reasonable when it comes to how we get people out of Afghanistan who belong in America. We need the State Department to make this happen. The military is all but out of the game. At least that's what they tell us. The State Department saying they helped facilitate the departure of four American citizens via an overland route, meaning traveling by land to a third country, is great. An official tells us our embassy greeted the Americans as they crossed the border into the third country. The question is, is it true? Because we have to have the Department of State more involved, and we're hearing so much reporting from the ground that they're not getting it right. Republicans involved in the rescue effort, like my next guest, are telling a different story. They say the State Department actually thwarted the efforts of the veterans on the ground who are helping to get a woman and her three kids out. Army combat veteran Corey Mills joins me now from a bordering country with Afghanistan. We should note Mills is also a Florida congressional candidate and a Republican. Now, they're going to think I'm kind of blurring your face and kind of not, Corey. This is just the lighting. You're backlit. It's fine. Um, And I appreciate you being with us and I appreciate your efforts on the ground. What is the truth about the State Department knowledge and role in your extraction? Well, Chris, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I apologize for the backlighting. This is about as good as I can get. From it's where fine. Um, so, so bottom line is, is that uh, I think that when it comes to the uh, amazing guys who are here in country that I'm, I'm operating out of, I think the State Department has been very helpful and supportive. I think the issue is that D.C. and State Department and the swamp, they're really where the problem has existed. You know, we had... Uh, the ability to go in in the very beginning days uh, to land a aircraft that would have evacuated 25 Americans out that we had already identified, that we had already coordinated with, um, and we had already had a, approved PPR. We had flyover approvals. I mean, everything necessary to have put the aircraft on the ground, had an hour's time on the ground, could have loaded our staff that were just out, our, our, our team, excuse me, that were just outside the gates, got them in, got them on, and got them out. And that was the original plan. Uh, that was thwarted by the, the State Department and then the uh, uh, DOD, where they essentially tried to deny our PPR, put us in pattern for almost 15 minutes, uh, and then even said that if you land this aircraft, that we're going to go ahead and take the aircraft certificate, we're going we're to ground the pilots, um, and then even have an F-16 go ahead. I mean, look, the, the bottom line is that that would have been 25 Americans, so that this land bordering crossing wouldn't have even been necessary if they could have let us land at that time. Uh, on the second occasion where we finally had to get these families uh, out of Kabul and into a, a different location, uh, they were manifested on another aircraft. That aircraft had been approved by the Taliban, had been approved by the DOD, had been approved by the State Department. Uh, and right before the nth hour when it was ready to fly, the State Department went ahead and canceled that flight or disapproved their, their, that flight because they wanted to vet the manifest, um, which I can understand and appreciate. But these are Americans who are basically being left behind. Now, again, one of the statements that you made, which I completely agree with, this isn't a time to throw mud and be a political animal that says, okay, well, the left did this or the right did that. We welcome the State Department's support. We actually received some of that support when we were in this bordering country, you know, once we were kind of on that 99-yard line. Um, I think that the amazing guys that I've been able to, to be on this team with, you know, I don't lead this team. I'm not the organizer, but I am a member of this team. And uh, what we've been able to do here, I think, sets the you know, white paper, the proof of concept, that with a little bit of help from the U.S. government, I think that it's joint, joint, you know, kind of public-private partnership that could help these Americans to get out.
So, Corey, a uh, couple of things, because you did it over land, uh, which I was just talking to these other vets who were doing that. And they're like, that's so hard um, that it's so much easier to get them to a place where you can fly them out because uh, for all the obvious challenges that are absolutely common sense to you. Now, the State Department side of the argument is, listen, we want to do everything we can. But what if Corey Mills or your buddy Sam Rogers or any of these other groups are smuggling out ISIS people? or people with fake papers, or people who want to hurt us, uh, we have to be able to check. What's the answer? I mean, I can agree with them 100%. I mean, when we worked with the, the State Department here in this certain country, we provided passport photos. We allowed them to try and check the biometrics. Um, we had done all of our due diligence. We uh, identified where and which district these individuals were from. Uh, for example, they were from Texas 13. Um, yeah, I understand that there is a near-far recognition piece of this. I understand that there, we, we, we cannot allow any type of terrorist uh, to, to get onto aircraft or to try and get across borders uh, at the help or behest of, of, of any of the Americans. Uh, but I do think there's an, there's an answer. There is a, a validation. There is a verification point, uh, which we can all, you know, kind of come to an agreement on. And so, uh, you know, I don't want that to be kind of, you know, the, the, the devil's in the details, obviously, but I don't want that to be the thing that prevents us from saving Americans and keeping them in harm's way. When I think that's a relatively easy way for us to go ahead and gather necessary documents and then allow them to vet gotcha. as we're moving them across the land. Uh, now to what I should have asked first, but I'm insensitive and old. Um, you are a Bronze Star recipient. Uh, you're a veteran. You served our country. And I respect you and appreciate you for that, as we all should. You went back you. into Afghanistan under Taliban rule to help these people get out. What's it like in there right now? Well, Chris, you know, when we went across, it was just kind of to that bordering area. It wasn't a full fledged assault uh, in the country. Um, you know, yes, you're taking that risk. Yes, obviously, you're, you're, you're coordinating to meet them at that bordering area. You're trying. Again, I've, I've got a team member who's with us who's, who's an amazing guy. He speaks five languages. So he's able to actually, you know, talk with the Taliban commanders and try and make these coordinating efforts. Uh, again, none of this occurs. It's not about Corey Mills. It's not about. Uh, you know, just our efforts. I mean, our whole team, you know, was was really incredible with the strengths and skill sets from from tier well, you one. You didn't know that they wouldn't go bad on you guys, once they got uh, you like, on their turf. Sorry, you didn't know that they wouldn't go bad on you once they brought you into their turf. No, no, we did not. But again, though, I think that we looked at it as a calculated risk. I think that the family was the one who who took the biggest risks. You know, by by us trying to coordinate and get them into different areas. Uh, our team members who are overseas in Afghanistan right now, uh, who are assisting these Americans, by the way, who are deserving to come out of country. These are Afghans with SIVs that had, I had worked with for years. Uh, they're the ones that's helping us to do a lot of this overland crossing. We're doing a lot of the coordination. We're doing that effort to try and get across that, that, that final goal line to be able to get them back. But, you know, again, this is all going to be you know, simplified if we basically work together with the U.S. State Department and we come together and try and get all these Americans out because there are Americans who are stuck. The Taliban are holding them and there is no coordination, as it's being told, where, oh, if you show a blue passport, you can be let in. I can confirm, Chris, that's just not true. I hear you. I've heard it from others. Uh, and look, let's be honest. You shouldn't be uh, within 100 miles of this effort. This should be the United States, its government, its military. They should be doing this. I mean, when the, when the history is written of all this, uh, we've never seen anything like this before, where veterans are working with people stateside and other allies to get people out of a country because the United States officially left. 
Uh, Corey Mills, as I've said all along. Well, it's essentially, it's a digital Dunkirk, Chris. That's exactly right. Hashtag digital Dunkirk. I know some people say that's not uh, polite to say to Dunkirk, but, uh, and what happened there, but look, it's just a hashtag. It originated. We didn't think it up, but it is what's out there. And there is this huge effort stateside and in country being coordinated largely by veterans and their allies to get people out. That's the reality. And I'll keep covering it. And thank God you're safe. And I appreciate what you did in your candor here today. Chris, thanks so much. And again, my thanks to all the members of my amazing team. I'm honored to be a part of that. Thanks to the State Department uh, personnel who are here in country who are willing to help us. Uh, they really supported us a lot. And again, we're volunteers. We're doing this on our own. It's, it's, it's you know, all through donors and foundations. And uh, we appreciate all the support that we can get. And I uh, hope you keep getting it. And I'm a call away to help. I'll give, make sure you have my number in the break. Take care. Thank you, Chris. All right, I want to come back here to a very different type of battle, but people are interested in it. And it does have implications beyond celebrity. That's why I covered it. As you know, we don't do celebrity stuff here uh, often, if at all. This Free Britney thing, another hashtag, uh, a surprise tonight. The singer's father and longtime conservator just made a move that I think surprised Britney's team. What happened? What does it mean? Why did it happen? What's next? Next. Surprising new developments in the Britney Spears case. Her father today filed to end his daughter's 13-year conservatorship. Now, just last month, Jamie Spears, that's the dad, did agree to step down as conservator, but very reluctantly, and there was no real timetable. In a court filing, he revealed he was concerned about his daughter's, quote, behavior and overall mental health and had gone as far as to uh, discuss a possible psychiatric hold with co-conservator Jody Montgomery. Montgomery denied it. But Jamie Spears filing today says, quote, recent events related to this conservatorship have called into question whether circumstances have changed to such an extent that grounds for establishment of conservatorship may no longer exist. Ms. Spears has told this court that she wants control of her life back without the safety rails of a conservatorship. So what changed? Joining me now is CNN entertainment reporter with the scoop, Chloe Melas and Lisa McCarley, an attorney who specializes in conservatorships and a supporter of the Free Britney movement. Chloe, uh, you got the scoop. Uh, what do you know about the timing and what do you see within the documents? I mean, it's a 112-page petition, Chris, and I'll tell you that I don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, You know, for 13 years, not one person in Britney Spears' family has filed a petition to terminate. Then it turns out that her father is the one to file a petition to end this over a decade-long conservatorship. So, look, the next hearing is in just a couple of weeks. So Judge Brenda Penny looks like she's going to hear this if she sets this for for a hearing, and the conservatorship is going to be terminated. But why is her father doing it now? Well, we know that Britney said at two hearings over the summer that she wanted to charge her father with conservatorship abuse. Now, Britney Spears' lawyer, Matthew Rosengart, saying that he sees this as a victory, that this is because of the mounting pressure from himself and the Free Britney movement to step aside, and that he still wants Jamie Spears to sit for a sworn deposition. I don't think that this is going to be ending, Chris, anytime soon. And we still haven't heard from Britney Spears tonight. Uh, Lisa, you're nodding your head a lot. I find Chloe very compelling also. But what does this mean Mm -hmm. to you uh, legally? 
So it's very exciting that there is now a petition to terminate this conservatorship. The problem is we don't know when it's going to be set for hearing. I'm hoping it will be joined with the other petitions set for September 29th. And if it is and um, they've given notice, it could very well be the end of the conservatorship for Brittany. Um, the only question is whether or not Jamie put in any requests for example, that his petition be approved or his accounting with all of the fees and all of the expenses that he's paid on behalf of the conservatorship. That's the big question. Well, uh, Chloe, uh, let me come to you for that. Uh, do you know anything from those documents that are in there? Yeah. So Jamie Spears is asking for almost $2 million. That includes a salary for himself of almost half a million dollars and legal fees to his legal team. So, you know, we know that Britney Spears' attorney, Matthew Rosengart, filed in a petition last week, Chris, that they do not want to pay those $2 million and have, and he has said that it's extortion of his daughter. So how is this going to be settled? I would love to know on September 29th if the dad isn't going to walk away without his $2 million. And also, are we going to see a potential jury trial? Is this really over? Is Brittany going to try to charge her father with conservatorship abuse? Um, you know, she's so angry at so many members of her own family, her sister, her mother, Lynn Spears, who have just kind of sat by while all raking in money from Britney Spears' multi-million dollar estate while she's been on tour and working and albums. Um, you know, Britney is angry, rightfully so. So we'll just have to see what happens. But Chris, it ain't over yet. It's not over. No, but look, nobody even saw this coming until you alerted us that you got a tip on it. So uh, this is all developing in the moment. Uh, Lisa, also, we have to find out what the co-conservator wants, Jody Montgomery. Uh, obviously, right. that'll well, be a key piece. Right, exactly. Well, right now, Jody is serving as temporary conservator of the person. And all they would have to do is take away Brittany's petition that was prepared by Sam Ingham, and her conservatorship will terminate by operation of the fact that it's set to expire in October. So really nothing needs to be done and Matt should take advantage and take off calendar um, Sam Ingham's petition. Remember Sam petitioned to have Jody appointed permanently. So all they have to do is take that off calendar and Jody's uh, letters of conservatorship terminate in October. So that's actually pretty close to being a done deal. Okay. Again, on the... Go ahead. Is there a final point that needs to be made? Well, right. So the final point is that Jamie can terminate the conservatorship of the estate and you can be over with and it is proper and ethical to let Britney Spears have her civil liberties back mm -hmm. as soon as possible. And they can go on and fight about the money, as Chloe was saying, for years to come. So this isn't entirely over no matter what happens in September. All right. Uh, Chloe, thank you very much. Lisa, appreciate you both on this. Again, great scoop. Uh, Chloe Milas, thank you very much for bringing it to us. We'll be right back. Thank you. Hashtag BOLO. Be on the lookout. And it's a twofer. First, voting is getting harder in Texas with Governor Abbott signing SB1. The Texas law, it does make it easier than ever before for anybody to go cast a ballot. Really? Is no more 24-hour voting making it easier? Is no more of this drive-through voting at places like the Toyota Center in Houston? Is that easier? 
Who knows how many people were saved from getting COVID in a state where it's exploding because of simple solutions like this last year. It's going to be tougher for the elderly, the sick, the physically challenged to vote by mail. And public officials can't send in unsolicited mail-in ballot applications anymore like they did in Harris County, which is where Houston is, by the way. It does give cover, though, to partisan poll watchers while making it harder to help disabled voters with their ballots. This is the game. And this is what happened while Democrats looked on as Republicans targeted and won state houses. SB1 becomes at least the 31st state law restricting voting rights in this country so far this year. That's according to the Brennan Center, one of several groups now suing Texas over the bill that led Democrats to leave the state twice in hopes of stopping. Remember that? Until they hit a brick wall of 60 votes in the U.S. Senate to get a federal voting rights bill done. The Texas bill is now law built on the bull that is the big lie about the 2020 election. There was nothing to fix. There was no big fraud. Speaking of bills with bull, at that same bill signing, Governor Abbott defended his abortion ban, which makes no exception for rape or incest, with more of his misleading talk. Obviously, uh, it provides uh, at least six weeks uh, for a person uh, to be able to uh, get an abortion. Let's make something very clear. Rape is a crime, and Texas will work tirelessly to make sure that we eliminate all rapists from the streets of Texas by aggressively going out and uh, arresting them and prosecuting them and getting them off the streets. So goal number one in the state of Texas is to eliminate rape so that no woman, no person, will be a victim of rape. What were you clapping about? Of course, rape is a crime. What does that have to do with restricting reproductive rights? Do you know under that bill? Give me this answer, people who are clapping. So if somebody rapes somebody else committing a crime, do they surrender their right under this law to sue someone else who helps the victim of their rape exercise their reproductive rights? It's not in the bill. If you think you're going to stop all rapes because of this bill, Take a look at your own data. The number of reported rape cases, a crime long before this governor showed up, went up nearly every year since he's been in office. Now, if I were Abbott, I would probably connect the fact that it's going up to this bill because that's as much crazy irrationality as him getting applause for saying, I'm going to try to stop rape to justify not including it as a protection for people if they are raped. More people are coming forward. That's why you see more rapes reported. And let's hope the slight downward trend in the most recent numbers is a positive sign. But for now, this is about women feeling empowered. And women impregnated by rapists in your state just lost the right they have to exercise control over their own body. Something they have right now everywhere else in this country. And about that six-week language, it's not how he describes it. Pregnancy is usually measured from the last day of the last normal menstrual period as the 19th news or any doctor might point out. The first sign of pregnancy is often missing one's period. A typical menstrual cycle is about 28 days or four weeks. A person can't get pregnant until they have ovulated, which generally happens halfway through the cycle. So in reality, a woman has about two weeks, 14 days, to decide even if she's the victim of rape or incest. Come on. We'll be right back. 
Thanks for watching. Don Lemon tonight, the big star. D. Lemon right now. Let me make something clear is that rape is a crime. <laughs> Look, here's what I got frustrated at. Forget about what my religion says about abortion or how I feel about that. Yeah. That was so frustratingly deceptive. And ignorant. And I am bothered by the applause uh, because it shows that what the governor there is doing is effective. Forget about reproductive rights. He's just lying about the bill, okay? The idea that, hey, you're really okay with rapists not uh, being able, you know, being able to victimize twice, essentially. Um, Yeah, because remember, that's a crime. So what we're going to do is get rid of all the rapists, and then it doesn't matter. And they applaud. Man, nobody ever thought of that. How smart of him. I mean, come on, get rid of all the rapists. And by the way, again, under that bill, people can roll their eyes. I'm telling you the way that bill is drafted right now, if you rape someone, you are not removed from the pool of eligibility to sue someone else for helping the person you raped get an abortion. abortion. Yeah. So that that's the reason why I pointed that out. I think you're right on in, in, in your what you're saying about this. But it's just. Like, no one has ever thought that, you know, rape, rapists should be a crime and that they're on the street. And his idea of what an actual rapist is, yeah, there are some people who are on the street and raping people. But a lot of it happens within families and within pe- with people you know, incest, so Absolutely. on and so forth. And so when you can't, so you, 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 most times you can't even detect it. And when it happens that way, at six weeks, most people won't even know. And that's the part that I got frustrated pregnant. about. He says... You know, he made it sound like it might even be more than six weeks under the law, which it isn't. And he made it sound like that's a long time, which it isn't. And it's just that's what bothers me. Just be straight about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, I know people will get frustrated and they will be upset. But the, the whole idea of separation of church and state doesn't seem to apply when it comes to this particular issue. Um, It's good to see you. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. It's good to be back. And it's we good just to be started seen. our second season of The Handoff today. I know, right? So Not this Handoff. I know it's confusing to people. There's a podcast, a podcast. called The Handoff. Yes. And I, the podcast, we go even deeper than we go now. We're even more real, a realer. I know that's yes, not Yes, I'm a word. shocked we got a second season. Well, I'm shocked at some of the things I said today because I compared life to... <laughs> yeah. Save that for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to the first episode of the podcast, you'll see that not only did I just do us both a favor professionally in terms of keeping this gig, uh, but it's actually a pretty funny thing. You said. Yeah, I did. Okay, okay, okay. I have to say it. it's funny. All right. I'll see you. Love you, brother. <laughs> I love Talk you. See you later. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.